Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, January 7th, 2018, on the basis of Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 15 and 28 through 32. Complete the sentence for me. The shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. Correct. Except when it isn't. This past Christmas, I was reminded in two very different ways that that old saying isn't always true. The first way is that I'm reading through this little book by Neil deGrasse Tyson entitled Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. And this book has reminded me of two things. First of all, if you're in a hurry, astrophysics is probably the last thing that you need to be thinking about. But it also reminded me that when you are dealing with non-Euclidean geometry, as in when you're talking about the shape of the universe, or when you're talking about Einstein's general theory of relativity, then all of those rules that you learned in your high school geometry class basically get thrown out the window, and all kinds of strange things happening start happening, like you have parallel lines that actually converge on one another, and and the shortest distance between two points is never a straight line. Now, if all of that is a little bit more than what you thought you were getting into on a Sunday morning, then here's, here's one really specific example. Look up the flight pattern for an international airline flight, the distance that a plane travels from one spot on our globe to another. You will see that it is a curved arc and not... A straight line. So that the shortest distance between two points isn't always a straight line. I'll tell you a little bit about the other way that I was reminded of that in just a minute, but why does this matter? Why is this important? Well, today we're starting this new worship series entitled Quest, and in it we will see how all of us in a very real way are on a quest. We are searching for deep and profound things for our lives, things like identity and community and certainty and purpose for our lives. And in this series, we are going to see where we can not only find those things in small measures, but in full and abundant measure. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. But as we get that series started today, we have a very important question to answer. See, even if I know where I can find everything it is that I'm really looking for in life, how do I get there? How do I get from point A to point B? How do I get from where I am now to where I want to be? How do I get from where things like identity and community and certainty and purpose seem to be distant dreams to the point where I have those things, where I possess those things in full and abundant measure? In other words, what does the path between these two points look like? What does it look like for someone to go from needing Jesus to having Jesus? Well, in today's gospel, we heard one story of what it looks like. The wise men come to visit the Savior. And one thing we learned from that story is that the path between these two points isn't always short. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That means that just down the road in Jerusalem, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people who knew their Bible very, very well, who were waiting for the Messiah to be born and who lived no more than a 5K away from where it happened. And yet none of them came to worship Jesus. Instead, it was men from distant lands, hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away, foreigners, outsiders, men who spent their lives not studying the Bible, but studying the stars. These are the men 
that come to worship. We also learn a little bit about how God gets people there. The path between these two points is not short. It's also not straight. God doesn't just drop down a note to the three wise men and say, here's the address. Here's where you can find him. Mom and dad are, are Mary and Joseph. You're looking for a baby. He's got brown hair, sort of a, a crooked smile. There's construction, by the way, on Route 80, and so you might want to avoid that as you go. And by the way, take a couple of gifts along. It would be nice to show up with, with gifts in hand. Here you go. No, instead, he, he causes a star to appear. He uses the star as a signal to bring them all the way from the east. And then when they show up in Jerusalem, the place where you'd expect a king to be born, the capital city, he uses a stark, raving, mad, power-hungry king named Herod to get them the final leg of the journey, to point them in the direction of Bethlehem. And then he, he uses that same miraculous star to bring them to the exact house. I won't even get into how the message that a king was coming had made it all the way to their nation, wherever they were from. That, that probably happened centuries earlier and has an elaborate tale of its own. The path between these two points is often not short, and it's often not straight. So I told you there, there were two ways that I was reminded of that this past Christmas. The one was the book on astrophysics. The other one was this. A Rubik's Cube. Astrophysics and Rubik's Cubes. That was Christmas at the Bowers house this year. So Noah got a Rubik's Cube for Christmas, and so of course we had to figure out how to solve it. And of course the solution to a Rubik's Cube, like a lot of things these days, comes with a little help from YouTube. Here's what I learned about a Rubik's Cube. At first, it's really, really easy. If you know what you're doing, you can get all of the white pieces, for example, on one side. It starts out pretty easy. But then as you get further and further into it, it gets more and more difficult. Because not only do you need to get one piece from where it is to the spot where it belongs, but you need to do so without messing up any of the pieces that are already in place. And so the closer you get to the end, the more elaborate and difficult the moves get. You can see that this one is almost solved. There are just a couple of pieces that are out of place, and yet this is the move that it takes to get it there. I'm a little bit nervous. It goes like this. Right, up, counterclockwise, right, up, right, up, right, up, counterclockwise, right, counterclockwise, up, counterclockwise, right, twice. There it is. There it is. So the closer you get to the end, all of that, thank you, all of that, just to move the last couple pieces around. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with anything? Is Pastor Bauer just looking for an excuse to show us that he learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube? No, believe it or not, this is a very deep, profound, theologically astute illustration of what Paul is talking about in these verses. See, part of what Paul is talking about in these verses is what he calls election. You maybe noticed that word when I read the lesson before. That biblical teaching of election means that before the creation of the world, God had this perfect picture-perfect image in mind of what his church would look like when it was a finished product. It means that human history all around us, right now as we speak, is nothing more than God's work of making that picture that he had in mind from all creation a reality. And so he moves piece by piece into place until eventually the thing will be exactly right. But just like a Rubik's Cube, as God moves 
each piece into place. It's not as if each piece is just kind of its individual, independently moving thing. All the pieces are connected to one another. And so as God moves one piece in, he must do so while keeping intact every other piece that's already in. And that's why the path between these two points is very often neither simple nor short nor straight. In fact, did you know that in Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John sees a picture of what the church looks like when it's all finished up. He sees it looking like a city. It's called the New Jerusalem, and it's coming down from heaven. Do you know what shape it is? It's a cube. And those pearly gates that you've maybe heard of, do you know how many of them there are? There are 12, three on each side. Now, all of that's just kind of a lucky coincidence, of course. But it does mean that this isn't a bad picture. It's actually a pretty good picture for what this doctrine of election is all about, for the picture-perfect image that God has of his church and, and how and why he gets every piece eventually into the place where it belongs. Paul told another story. We heard the story of the wise men. In these verses, Paul tells a story of how that happened among the people that he was writing to. He's talking about how this happened after Jesus went back up into heaven. As Paul and the other apostles went out into the world to tell people about Jesus, when they came to a city, each and every time they would do the same thing. They would start in the synagogue, and they would tell the Jewish people about the Savior. But almost without fail, each and every time, those Jewish people, by and large, rejected the message about Jesus. And that is what triggered... Paul and the other apostles then going and taking that message to the Gentiles. And unlike the Jews, the Gentiles were converted to Christianity in droves, hundreds, thousands of them. But in these verses, Paul says the story's not done. There's more to the story. He says that one of the things that's going to happen from all of these Gentiles coming to Christianity is that the Jews will be aroused to envy, that they will become jealous, and that as a result, many of them will come to faith. The path between these two points, the path between someone who needs Jesus and someone who has Jesus is neither short nor simple nor straight. So what does your story look like? Some of you might be thinking to yourself, this exactly describes me. I know enough about my story to say that the path between when I needed Jesus and when I had Jesus, it was not short or simple in the least. I know all the steps that were involved. Some of you might be thinking, boy, this doesn't describe me at all. For me, the path from needing Jesus to having Jesus seemed very, very short and very, very simple. I was born into a Christian family. I was brought to be baptized when I was just a couple of days old. I've spent my entire life going to church and hearing the message of God's word. Friends, realize that 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 part of the story is just a small fraction of the total story. That this story includes much more than the story of your life the story of the lives of your parents and even your grandparents. This story spans all of human history and touches every last corner of the globe. God has moved heaven and earth to get you in place. And guess what? The story's not over. This is still going on all around us. Some of you may have felt this past week on January 2nd, once the holidays were over, a little bit of a letdown. Back to the grind, back to the daily routine. Clock in, clock out, a project here, a deadline there. 
Friends, realize that while all of that is going on, all around you, in fact, in you, with you, and through you, this is what God is doing. God is moving heaven and earth to get every last piece of the puzzle into place. And as he does, you will be impacted. You will be involved, whether you realize it or not, whether you, whether you want to or not. In some ways, that's obvious and simple, like when it comes to our children, when it comes to our spouses, maybe friends or relatives. But, but in other ways, boy, if we only saw and knew the whole story, our mind would just be completely blown. Who knows? That's something that we are doing in January, in the year of 2018, in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. Maybe we go to Miller's after church to buy some milk. And a thousand years from now, a thousand miles away, in a country that's not even on the map yet, in a town that hasn't even been settled yet, because of that, someone hears about Jesus. Another piece clicks into place. I don't know. But I do know that this is what God is up to in our world. I know that the path from those who need Jesus to those who have Jesus is never simple, short, or straight. And the more we realize that, the more we can keep that in mind, the more we will be kept from falling into the problem that Paul was dealing with with the Roman Christians. See, if we zoom out into the wider context of this chapter, Paul is basically sending the message to these Gentile Christians that they ought not think of themselves too highly. He's saying, look, Gentiles, I know that right now you guys are in. But remember, the only reason that you're in is because the Jewish people rejected, and that's what brought the gospel to you. And remember that the fact that you're in right now, in part, is only so that the Jewish people become jealous and and some of them get in as well. And most importantly of all, remember that trying to take any amount of credit for being in is the quickest way to find yourself out. Paul wraps up these verses by reminding us that even though the path between these two points, between people who need Jesus and have Jesus, is never short or straight or simple, it is always similar in two important ways. It always starts out in a prison cell. Paul says that God has bound all people. He has imprisoned them in disobedience. In other words, there is absolutely nothing that any of us can contribute to us getting into the right spot. In fact, the only thing that we can contribute would actually be detrimental to the cause and would put us in the opposite direction on this path. Paul says that in this prison cell, there is only one way out, only one door, and it is the door of God's mercy. In other words, the work of getting us from needing Jesus to having Jesus is entirely God's work. It is so very easy for us to look at where we are, that, that we are in, we are where we need to be, and look at other people who are, who are not in, or I suppose we should say not in quite yet, and think that somehow we deserve credit for that. Somehow it's something that we did or something about who we are that is the explanation for that. I look at me and where I am this morning, and I look at someone, someone else, and I could give you a few reasons why I'm here in church and they're at home sleeping. No, if we realize what Paul is saying here, then we will be spared from even a hint, even a shred of arrogance about ourselves or condescension toward other people. All of us have been bound in the prison cell of disobedience, and there is only one way out. It is God's 
mercy. There is only one door. And thankfully that work of getting us from, ha- from needing Jesus to having Jesus is God's work alone. As we continue with this series quest, remember that. As we talk about finding things like identity and community and purpose for our lives, things that maybe seem a long way off, things that maybe in your life seem difficult or even impossible to find, remember this. Because even though the path from where we are and where we need to be is never short or simple or straight, it is a path that God has proven time and time again that he can get us down. Time and time again, in story after story, he has proven that he can get the job done. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.